Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, coming to you on a Sunday night solo here. Jordan can't make it. We're going to get all of his reaction to the Browns' first preseason game on an episode that he and I will record tomorrow night to be posted for you on Tuesday. But that being said, I just rewatched the whole game. I watched most of the first half on Saturday night as the game was airing live, and then I caught beat, bits and pieces uh, until about seven minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. So most of the, the game action that mattered. But I wanted to rewatch the whole thing so I could have some definitive takeaways for you guys here for the pod on a Monday morning. Hopefully as you're you know, getting into your work week or whatever you may be doing as you listen to this. And the big takeaway I have, my immediate reaction after watching that first preseason game, Browns 23, Jacks 13, is the rookies. The rookies were the storyline, 100%. Look, we, you can talk about the draft for months, and we did. You can see how these guys are looking in camp and get you know some insights from the people that are on the ground there. We did. But... It's a whole different animal when you get to see them in game action live. And that's what we got. And they balled out. Now, does this mean rookies are necessarily going to be amazing because they balled out in preseason? No. I watched Deshaun Kaiser have an amazing preseason game. And we all know that didn't translate to the NFL. But that being said, wow. Across the board, I felt the rookies had a fantastic, fantastic day. To start, I, I, I think we got to talk about Jeremiah Wusakoromoa, JOK. The speed that he played with on the field was as advertised. When we're looking at JOK in the draft, everybody talks about that speed, right? His ability to run with some of the best guys in the country down the field. Some of those Alabama receivers that you're now seeing in the NFL preseason as well. The Jalen Waddles, the the Devonta Smiths, those kind of guys. It was like, okay, if he can track with them and play almost like a safety in that sense of the backpedal there as a linebacker and then also come up and make plays in the run game, that's a hell of a player. And that's pretty much what it looked like. The, the speed that he, he blew up plays was incredible. He came in and basically had a three-play sequence where he had a, a tackle on a run play where he basically filled the gap perfectly. He got in for another tackle where he really pressed the issue going into the backfield, and then he was in on a, a sack through an A-gap blitz. And that three-play sequence, I think, had every Browns fan smile because it was great, great football from the linebacker position. And let's be honest, we have not been impressed with the linebackers these last couple of years in Cleveland. They haven't been what we're looking for. Hey, really, since the, the team came back to Cleveland, there hasn't been a whole lot of, of studs at that linebacker position. And JOK looked like that. And he looked like the modern NFL, right? Like, I saw some people saying, oh, he looks a little slim. Yeah, but it feels like a lot of the best linebackers these days – are on the slimmer side. You know, Fred Warner to me, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a smaller guy. Some of those guys that can cover and, and come up in, in the run game are smaller guys that play with an edge. And I thought JOK demonstrated that in his first outing. Limited, to be sure, in terms of the number of snaps, but 
boy, if he keeps playing like that, I know he came in low on the depth chart, but it's going to be tough to keep that guy off the field. I'm feeling a lot better about my prediction that JOK is going to be starting week one against the Chiefs now. Tell you that much. Because a guy who plays like that, they're just not going to be able to keep off the field. He was everywhere making plays for the Browns. Well, what about the first round pick? We got to get to Greg Newsom, right? Because that's the guy that the Browns took in the first round. Uh, you know, there's talk they could have taken JOK there. He ends up falling to them in the second. But but Greg Newsom's the guy here. He's in a you know he's in a position battle with Greedy Williams. And yes, Greg Newsom gave up a a pretty big pass play. Trevor Lawrence's biggest pass play of the night. Greg Newsom wasn't coverage. It wasn't really bad coverage. It was a great throw and a great catch. So. Didn't really give me any reason for concern. I thought uh, some people pointed out some stuff that Greg Newsom did very well, too, uh, that, that Browns fans can hang their hat on. There was a, in particular, I didn't see this watching the game, but actually I got a shout out my guy, Jake Burns, recurring guest of the program here for this one. But he pointed out this the sequence where Greg Newsom did a great job communicating in the back end on a you know basically handing one receiver off and then taking another to prevent a big play there was also a pick play that that some were saying Newsom was the one to call out and they were able to switch that around too so sometimes it's those little things those little things that can make such a difference and on that play where Newsom had that big uh communication where they were able to exchange correctly there was a coverage sack and this is the point that Jake actually also made on the podcast here when we had him on as a guest last season, is that not a lot of coverage sacks from the Browns last year because the communication was so bad in the back end, because also they were playing so far off, the quarterbacks always had a, you know, a get out of jail free card, right? You could always go to a guy, you know, there's not going to be a corner pressed right up on him and you can get the ball out quickly if, if you're feeling the pressure. Well, that's not going to be the case this year. These secondary players for the Browns are not only going to be much improved, but it's overall, I think, a higher IQ group than what we've seen in some of these previous years. And so that's got to make you excited as a Browns fan because these things impact each other, right? If the secondary is able to play more press coverage, if they're able to hold up for just a second longer on some plays, that in turn going to allow this pass rush to get home. I mean, just think about the number of sacks that a Miles Garrett that is Davion Clowney, et cetera, are going to get with an extra second on five plays a game. That difference right there is tremendous. It's tremendous. So to me, that was the most positive part of the Greg Newsom experience. He also had a nice tackle that, that set up a fourth and one play that then the Jags didn't convert. But not a, a whole lot, I think, to take away other than that from Newsom's game. But I just thought there were some nice illustrations of, of what he could bring to this team. I wouldn't say he blew my doors off in the same way that JOK did. But I'd also say that you you see the glimpses. You see the glimpses. And that's what you're looking for in a preseason. Now, the guy that had everybody talking was Richard LeCount. And that's because he's a safety out of Georgia that the Browns took in the fifth round. He was out there. And safety is a bit of a concern for the Browns right now. They have, you know, Grant Delpit coming off the, the torn Achilles. Ronnie Harrison, you know, has been in and out of camp. And so LeCount got that opportunity in this game. And boy, did, did he capitalize on it. Highest graded player for the Browns on PFF 90.4 in this one. And he had an interception at halftime, but that was not his best play. 
His best play was one that he almost picked off where he ranged across the side of the field to, to break up a pass there because the interception, you know, was a, a badly thrown ball at the end of the half, but he showed some tremendous range. Look, he fell in the draft because he ran a four, eight forty basically. And, and there were some other concerning testing numbers at his pro day. Now there were reports that he was injured at his pro day and that's what contributed to, to these bad numbers and, and that he plays faster than that. It, Definitely looked like that in the game. And now the the challenge here is, right, he was also going against a lot of Jaguars backups. So, you know, is that allowing him to, you know, use his ball skills a little bit more because the game's not as fast because it's more vanilla uh, because the receivers aren't, aren't playing with the same speed? Maybe, maybe, but he showed all he could show for a fifth round draft pick. Now, do I think he's going to necessarily have a massive impact on this team? No, that's why I didn't start with him at the top, even though he was the one with the most impressive game on the whole. I didn't lead the show with him because ultimately I don't think he's going to be playing a lot of first team snaps, but this is the thing that the Browns are doing so well that you have to admire is late in the draft. What do you want to do, right? You want to take swings on guys that might hit. Uh, that that people might be missing, right? That like, why have they fallen? There's got to be some sort of market inefficiency. And not only with, with LeCount, but also, you know, with Demetri Felton, who I want to talk about next, the Browns clearly identified something and said, hey, for some reason this happened and maybe it won't work out, but we have to take that risk. We're at a point in the draft where it's worth it. We have the flexibility in our roster. You know, there aren't massive holes that we need to fill. Let's go take a chance on this guy. And so far, seems like it might have been might have been a worthwhile risk. And on the flip side, too, with Felton, who I just mentioned, he's a running back out of UCLA, kind of this gadget type guy. You know, what are you going to do with him? You don't know. You, you know, oh, you know, he doesn't really fit a position. He can't really run between the tackles. Well, the Browns are basically using him as a slot receiver. He ran more than 90% of his routes from the slot in this game. He had a couple of catches, I think four catches for 44 yards. And he's just another dynamic weapon that's going to create some matchup problems for the other team. You really got to put a specific player on Demetri Felton if you're going to be able to stop him, it seems. And so that's an advantage for the Browns. If they can force teams into certain defensive packages, certain alignments that are, that are going to be favorable matchups, I think Felton has that ability. And to get a guy like that in the sixth round, could be tremendous value for the Browns. I was really impressed with Felton. I thought his PFF grade came in a little lower for some reason, not that the PFF grades are, you know, uh, gospel by any means, but I didn't really get why. I thought he was one of the best Browns players last night, and I was really impressed with what he did out there. So I think he's got a chance, uh, you know, really to, to make some stuff happen for the Browns this season, maybe he'll he'll have a bigger impact than some of the guys we took earlier on, just because, you know, like an Anthony Schwartz, only because he might create more matchup problems. There might be more opportunities for him and his role than than there are for Schwartz and his. We'll see. Schwartz was injured. He didn't even play. That That's a rabbit hole we don't need to get down right now. Another guy that we flagged earlier on in camp is A.J. Green. No, not the Bengals wide receiver that's now in Arizona. A.J. Green, an outside cornerback that the Browns brought in who missed all of last season but has shown a bunch of flashes in training camp. 
And that's the funny thing too about this, right? Like you, sometimes you want to see if the if the games match up to the practice. I'll be honest. Basically, what I heard of, of LeCount, he might just be a gamer because the reports I heard weren't that great. And, and I hadn't shared that on the podcast, but I talked to somebody who was watching camp and they said, eh, eh, like, I'm not sure, you know, he's really going to be doing a whole lot for this team. And maybe he, as I said, maybe he won't, he may not have the opportunity anyway because of the safeties. But on the flip side, A.J. Green is one of those guys that in practice, people were like, oh, keep an eye on him. And I brought him up on the podcast before. You know, given the fact that our first three outside corners in, in you know, Ward, Newsom, and, and Grady Williams all have durability concerns, getting a fourth outside corner you can rely on would be huge for this team's depth. It would be massive. We saw what happened when Robert Jackson was on the field last year. He's a fine player, but he can't do a lot of things in, in the Brown system. He has to play off. He got burned a lot when in, in tight coverage. So you know, the ability to upgrade at that spot with an AJ green could be something that's very useful to the Browns. AJ green might see snaps on this team. Of course, they've got Troy Hill too, who could slide from slot to the outside, but then you got to worry about who's playing slot corner. So I think AJ green actually is a sneaky big headline. I think he could make the 53 man roster and potentially see snaps as injuries happen this season. Now, obviously we're not hoping that that's the case, but these guys at the end of the roster, that's important. That could be a, a, a big swing later on in the season. If you've got somebody you can rely on as a fourth corner, I mean, most teams just don't have a guy like that. So I'm going to continue to keep my eye on A.J. Green. As I said, the reports I heard out of practice were great. And now through one game, it looked like it translated to the field as well. The last guy I want to bring up is Michael Dunn. Boring, right? Offensive line. No, not not in this case. Michael Dunn is a sneaky, sneaky big development for this team. First of all, going back to last season, he played a phenomenal game against the Steelers. My guy, Brandon Thorne, if you don't know who Brandon Thorne is, he, he runs all of this, uh, all of these different uh, entities that are all around offensive and defensive line play. He, he, you know, he works for Establish the Run. He does his own stuff. He's got all these videos all over the place, but really gets in-depth about the offensive line. And he flagged Michael Dunn's performance against the Steelers as really a career-defining performance for a guy that was super young to be thrown into that spot and to deliver. He was like, hey, this is awesome. And I know Jake Burns has also been on him as a, as a potential guy down the line. Well, two things about Michael Dunn looking so good. And he looked awesome in this game against the Jags. Another offensive lineman graded out higher than him, but Dunn, I thought, looked phenomenal and was, you know, really, really stood out to me as I watched. Well, a couple things. Number one, huge, huge depth option for this team. That makes you feel way better to have a guard that, that you know, you really feel like you can rely on as a depth piece because injuries along the offensive line happen. One of the Browns' biggest advantages over their team, uh, you know, the, their opponents is the offensive line. They're the best offensive line in the NFL. So if you can have a guy go down and still, you know, maintain that level or close to, that is huge. It is essential if you're going to get through a regular season and perform as a top offensive line because the odds are all five of those guys are not staying healthy for 16 games. It just doesn't happen. 17 games now. So that piece is key. But then you think about the future as well with this team. Batonio is obviously getting up there in age. Wyatt Teller 
you know, there's, there's been plenty of talk about his potential contract and extension. And, you know, he had a quote about how at some point you can't pay everybody, which is true. So it does give the Browns a little bit of leverage in that sense, because, you know, if Whiteller leaves, you've got a guy that you feel fine about starting in place of him. You feel good uh, about starting in place of Whiteller if that happens. Now, Whiteller's a beast. I certainly don't want Whiteller to walk out the door, and that's not a problem for this season. But also, it's something to keep an eye on. Is And I was mentioning this with Donovan Peoples-Jones, too. It's like, okay, this development means that, hey, even if the impact doesn't come this year, it might impact your decision next offseason where you're like, we've seen this guy play in the preseason. He looks great. We feel okay about him being a replacement going forward. And that's what I saw out of Michael Dunn. So huge props to him there. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Okay, let's flip to the negative stuff real quick. Not a ton here, but two things. The, the uh, you know, Always got to start with the injuries. Mac Wilson's down with a knee. It doesn't sound serious. It looks like it's just going to be a week-long thing or so. But it was kind of a bummer to that, that he got hurt just because we'd heard so much about him in camp. I really, really wanted to watch him play because, I, you know, I'm the, be the first to admit, I said, hey, he's a surprise cut candidate. I haven't seen it on the field with him these first two seasons. I don't get it. All the reports out of camp were great. I was like, oh, I can't wait to watch him play. Boom, he gets hurt. He plays like four total snaps or something like that. Really very few snaps before he was out. So unfortunate there, but hopefully he'll be able to bounce back and, and maybe you know play some good snaps in that third preseason game. That's what I'd hope for at least. And then the real bummer is Steven Carlson looks like suffered a season-ending knee injury. Now Carlson's the fourth tight end on this roster. We all know the first three, Hooper and Joku and Bryant, but – he was probably going to be on the 53-man roster. So now, do they keep a fullback? Do they keep another running back? They've got some options, but they really don't have another fourth tight end in camp that you would expect to make the roster. So it'll be interesting to see what the Browns kind of do from that perspective because it does look like Carlson's done for the year. We'll see if that gets confirmed tomorrow, but that's what all the reporting has indicated so far. The other, I think, concerning thing that, that we have to touch on is the interior defensive line play wasn't stellar. Andrew Billings in particular didn't look great. And, you know, it got pushed around a little bit. I, there, It's a couple snaps. Is it the end of the world? No. It's, I mean, he probably had 10 total run snaps. But that's a guy that, that the Browns are going to need, you know, to plug up holes on the inside of that defensive line. So do they, you know, 
They don't have a great replacement for him, too, is the thing. It, you know, Jordan Elliott's not really that kind of player. Jordan Elliott, to me, is more of a Malik Jackson type in terms of where he would rotate in in the defensive line spot. So maybe it's Sheldon Day. Day, of course, had that sack on Trevor Lawrence, and that's a little bit more of the player type, I think. And they look good out there, but the Browns don't really have a lot of, of guys that could fill in for, for Billing, so they're counting on him a little bit. And this is a guy that didn't play for a year and is a big guy, and you just kind of wonder, you know, it's hard to tell, you know, is it because he has to play the position? He has to be large to play the position. But, you know, is he out of shape? What happened during that year off? Is he going to bring the level of play that he did in Cincinnati? So that's the only thing I would say from a play perspective, other than the injuries that had me slightly concerned, not major, not going to blow it out of proportion. Billings could be totally fine. You know, this may be a a total non-storyline, but it's just something I'm going to be watching. Just going to be keeping an eye on that throughout the next couple preseason games as we continue to get more evidence so we continue to get more snaps. I mean, none of these guys played a lot of snaps, right? Like, you know, in the 30s, even less than that in many cases. I mean, Usa Koromori got 47 out of, but it's hard to draw complete conclusions for sure. But, you know, Billings, as I said, in his 11 snaps uh, was not exactly what I would consider to be all that impressive. Okay, that's all that... I'm going to do on this preseason game. As I said, I want to get Jordan's thoughts. Uh, He couldn't record tonight, so I I wanted to get something out for you guys. But he and I will be back to discuss this in a little bit more detail tomorrow uh, as things come out. And then we'll be back with plenty more content ahead of uh, the second preseason game as well. So Browns fans, until then, very excited that we got some real football in the books. It was exciting to see. I... I was more excited than I thought. Uh, I don't know how you guys out there felt, but at first I was like, ah, the preseason, there was not a lot of intriguing storylines for the Browns, which is a great thing that there's not as much to watch as you would think in a usual year. But then, man, when the game came around, I was like, nah, I got to watch this. I can't wait. And it was, I, I, I of course was enthralled as soon as it was on the TV and I'm sure you guys were too. So very excited for many more um, including games that actually count. So until next time, Browns fans, just two words for you. Go Browns.